Hi, I'm Lizzie, here with my friend Andrea, and we are your hosts for Letting It Percolate. Just as the best tasting coffee takes time to percolate, some of life's most interesting and important questions take time to truly explore. So Andrea, what are we exploring today? Our question today is, what are the merits of different personality tests? With this question, we have kind of a fun story to open the topic. And yeah, I'll just go ahead and dive into that. So as some of you may know or have picked up on throughout our podcast, Lizzie and I met during college and we actually lived in the same dorm, different floors, but same dorm. And toward the end of our freshman year, I think it was finals week, most of the students had gone home, including both of our roommates. So we were each left alone in our rooms. And I think, Lizzie, you just, like, asked if I wanted to come over for a sleepover. Sleepover! (laughs) Yeah! Which was, I don't know, I thought it was kind of fun and funny because we lived in the same building and slept in the same building every day. But, or every night, but... Uh, yeah, I was like, why not? I'm not going to do anything else, just sit by myself in my room. And so I uh, made the long trek down the hall, down the stairs (laughs) to Lizzie's room. And I think early on in the evening, you asked me if I had ever taken this test. And the name of it was the Enneagram. And I didn't even know what you said the first time. Like, (laughs) what word just came out of your mouth? Um, But... You explained it a little bit, like, this is a personality test, there's nine different types, so on and so forth, and (laughs) I think you said something kind of like, well, before we do anything else tonight, I'm just going to need you to take this test. (laughs) And uh, so you pulled it up on, yes, of course, (laughs) you pulled it up on one of our phones and sat there while, like, watching me while I took it. (laughs) And, you know, it wasn't, I remember the version of the test, and it wasn't, Mm -hmm. like, one of those 10-question BuzzFeed quizzes. It was Mm -hmm. pretty involved. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Gotta get that long test. (laughs) Yeah. I I would guess it was, like, maybe 80 or so questions. So, you just, like, sat there patiently as I took this test, and then it gave me my number at the end. I think it maybe gave like a top three or something and then we talked about them a little bit and broke it down and you shared your number and kind of what they meant so yeah uh, that's that was really for me kind of my beginning of interest in personality tests obviously Lizzie you had been into them earlier than I had but Mm -hmm. um I feel like it's also bonded our friendship like (laughs) it is a topic of conversation that just like naturally comes up sometimes when we're talking so yeah, yeah, obviously that gets us excited to talk about it today. Yeah, and I'll just say for anyone listening that um, some people listening may have been similarly subjected to my like <laughs> forcing them to take the various tests. Um, so I did do that, and I was really into like forcing people to take tests like that in college, like more so than now. I don't like I've gone a little crazy, but um yeah so that's the that was the enneagram and there's other tests of course um people may be familiar with like the myers-briggs so like the four letters one um disc i'm not super familiar with disc but like a lot of employers i feel like use that um big five or ocean strengths finder 
So there's just a lot out there, and I think it can be a lot to navigate and a lot to sift through, like, what's up with all this? Is it even mm-hmm. legitimate? Like, what's the value of it? Um, so we're, we're going to be um, processing through some of that in our episode today. Um, we also wanted to just highlight really quick the relevance of personality tests beyond just, like, for fun and among friends in conversation, which that's reason enough for me, but (laughs) uh, personality tests are used in other, many other settings, including counseling, hiring, um, leadership, business. They're getting more into using certain tests, I feel like. Um, Spiritual growth, relationships, teaching. So there's a lot of possible areas of application or relevance, at least. just out of curiosity, oh. yeah, yeah. Just out of curiosity, in any like job or internship that you've had before, have you had to take some kind of personality test as part of your application process? I actually okay. Short answer is no. Long answer <laughs> is for city year when I did this AmeriCorps program, like we were all forced to take the Myers Briggs and like share our results and like it was this whole blog forum thing. But that was like after we were all hired, like, kind of building the team. Um, So so it was for a totally different purpose. It didn't weigh into whether or not you were accepted to the program? Correct. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. One of my brothers just got hired uh, with Toyota, which is – everyone knows Toyota. I don't need to explain. (laughs) But they they also had a personality test. Mm, I think it might have been the Enneagram – I don't know. Really? I think that to would take be a few shocking. different one. Maybe it wasn't the Enneagram. I was I'll say, I've never him. heard of professional organizations using the Enneagram, that would, unless they're, like, religious. Yeah. That would be super interesting if they did. N- and now that I'm thinking about Toyota's culture, I don't <laughs> think it was the Enneagram. They're not like that, but... Yeah. He, I think uh, yeah. he had to take some test for them to see if he would fit the culture, per se, which is, yeah... That's interesting. We'll probably talk a little bit more about that idea mm-hmm. of having a certain test to figure out if someone will fit. But anyhow, yeah, so I, I know he's had to take one as well, which I find kind of interesting. So it does seem like they're on the rise a little bit in professional contexts. Mm. Yeah, and I think so for one thing we wanted to talk about kind of first with all of this, and I think a lot of people do think this way, is like, well, are these, there's like however many there are, probably a way larger number than we're even aware of because there's lots of small ones, but are they, these tests even like valid scientifically and how do they even know if they're producing meaningful, like reliable results? Um, And we just wanted to raise, we don't have all of the answers to that question, but we wanted to kind of raise that question and process it a little bit. Of, like, are they scientifically valid? Hmm. I think that's probably, this is probably one of the most common criticisms I hear when I'll start to mention any personality test. Um, yeah, so it warrants some time to consider. Uh, I, in doing a little bit of background research for this episode, I did stumble upon two studies that were done related to the Enneagram or over the Enneagram. And 
the conclusion for one of them I found interesting, the way that it worded it, um, it, they were essentially testing for scientific validity, and I think Hmm. factor analysis was used. I'm not going to lie, I don't totally know what factor analysis means, but um, anyhow, one of the, or part of the conclusion was that there is validity to the existence of nine types, which is, Mm. like, the crux of the Enneagram, but Hmm. then it went on to caution that the results of the study gave more of a description of what is distinctive about each type rather than a holistic description of each type, if that makes sense. So they were able to find some consistency in how to describe the distinctive features of, like, a number three or a number Mm. six, Mm. but the study was not claiming to be able to holistically explain, like, this is what a three would be like. And I think, I don't know, I think that that makes sense. Like, every single person is unique, and this is another pushback that people will have with personality tests. Don't put me in a box. I'm my own person. And I hear that, and I get that. But I think there's two ways or more to look at these. Like, is it telling me who I am in my entirety, or is it telling me these are some of my most prominent tendencies mm. um, that, like, maybe it would be good and help me be more self-aware if I gave them some thought? So, and then one interesting side note on this particular study that might speak to general interest in personality tests, 70% of the respondents were female. Only 30% mm. were male. So that may have skewed the way that, um, I don't know, the results came out and also might speak to there could be more interest on the female side of the spectrum than the male side in this topic, or maybe not. This is just one study, but. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that makes sense, though, the fact that they found, like, um, reliability with describing the distinctive aspects of each number, but the fact, like, that they can holistically consistently describe each number because for people who are familiar with Enneagram there is so much um like interrelatedness among the numbers so for example like if I'll just say two because I'm a two like if you're a two you either have a one wing or a three wing and so you can have outward behaviors that look like a three or a one depending and then there's also like the stress and growth arrow so like I can look like a four sometimes um in stress and I can look like an eight in growth or maybe it's the other way around actually totally other way around (laughs) Uh, but like there's a lot of like fluidity there and so I think that plus what you said Andrea of just the the obvious fact that we are all individuals um and that me being a two looks and someone else being a two looks can look totally different yet we still would have that same like core fear of being like unwanted which I'm pretty sure that's the core fear for two, but I should know that. <laughs> Take everything I say with a grain of salt, okay, everybody? <laughs> um, you just exposed your, like, deepest, innermost fears, and they may or may not actually be from the Enneagram. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, if it's not actually for a two, then it's just like, oh, that's just me. <laughs> um, but my point is that their result makes sense knowing that the Enneagram like, itself doesn't claim to be 
excuse me, doesn't claim to be like, all threes are the same. Like, you couldn't holistically describe a three accurately because there's so much, so many other factors at play. Right. I'm curious, Lizzie, because it sounds like you're somewhat familiar with the big five slash ocean. Where does that test stand in terms of scientific validity? Yeah, so uh, to my knowledge, the big five is the only, like, personality construct test that researchers consistently like use and regard as valid and reliable um part of that is fund you know how science research works and funding and stuff and big five slash ocean research gets a lot of funding because it's already demonstrated some validity and reliability but um that's it's interesting because the big five so for people who are unfamiliar it refers to five um traits and they are the acronym OCEAN, so openness to experience, uh, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and negative emotionality, and which used to be referred to as neuroticism. <laughs> and it's the same construct, they just decided to change the name, I think. Slightly and, less loaded terminology. <laughs> right, right. So basically, you take a test, an assessment for that, and you get a percentile ranking along those five traits. So it's, like, less catchy and fun <laughs> than, like, Myers-Briggs or Enneagram where there's, like, an acronym and names and, like, numbers and it's just, like, you get a percentile on a trait. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, there's a, I feel like there's a substantial body of research to back up the, like, validity and reliability of the big five. Hmm. Have you personally taken a Big Five test? You know I have. (laughs) Multiple times. (laughs) Which of the five aspects do you rank in the highest percentile on? My highest one is openness to experience. Yes. And that refers to... um, And these are all going to be, like, not perfect definitions because I'm just speaking off the cuff. (laughs) But that refers to, like... So people who are super artistic, who are, like, like to look at abstract pieces of art and, like, think about all of the possible interpretations that that could, piece could have, like, that would be one example of a way that that trait could be displayed. Um, because you have this openness to, like, it could be this, it could be that, it's totally gray area, and, versus some people are more, like, uh, prefer uh, black and white or, like, more structured. Um... Another part of openness to experience is just, like, seeking out, it's kind of obvious, like, seeking out new things, a preference for that over a preference for staying with what you know. Hmm. Um, and again, I'm just going to give a fifth caveat that I'm not an expert. <laughs> I feel like that's necessary, but yeah. Okay. Have you, ta- have you taken the big five? No, I've not. I think oh. really... Maybe I heard about it, like, once or twice in college, but Mm. I think you're probably the primary source I have for information on the Big Five. Mm. Um, Oh, that's not good. You need to diversify. I don't want (laughs) to... I do need to diversify. It's a good call out. (laughs) Um, I would guess that compared to you, I'm much lower on the openness to new... Mm. Was it openness to new experiences? Is that what it was? They didn't openness. have new in there, just openness to experience. Okay, open, openness to experience. I am probably less so. And the first example that comes to mind is 
Like, if I go to a restaurant and I find something I like the first time I go there, it is incredibly difficult for me to order anything else because Mm. I just have this bar, this, like, bar Mm. of expectation. And I don't – this is me, like, spitballing, I guess, but Mm -hmm. I – with a lower openness to experience – the possibility of risking less satisfaction with the meal the second time around ordering something different versus the mm. pos- like the possible reward of getting something that's even more satisfying because I'm lower in openness to experience. Mm. I would just rather go with like what I know mm-hmm. versus what I don't like what is certain versus take the mm-hmm. risk. That's like one small example. And I'm trying yeah. to work on it. Uh, yeah, and we'll that talk could be a, a super later useful about... trait, though, some, in, like, in certain contexts. Right. And we'll yeah. talk about later the idea of, like, growing also in personality. I don't want to get there too early, but, mm-hmm. yeah, for me, that's an area of personal growth. Like, mm-hmm. flexibility and adaptation have never been strengths. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so, is yeah, the big five is one that stands out as, like, I don't think a lot of people would contest that it is more scientifically, um, I guess you could just say there's a lot more research that has shown that it's valid and reliable than the others. Um, the Myers-Briggs, I think, somewhat famously has not been shown to be reliable (laughs) in that, like, people can test over time and get different results, um, that's another criticism people have of personality tests is like, well, like today I feel like I'm an extrovert. Tomorrow I might feel like I'm an introvert. Like I, and I, I get that. But I also think that you most of the time personality tests are not cl- claiming to represent that type of change, but something more fundamental that is largely unchanging. Hmm. Um, I guess, like, these caveats in mind, do you still think there is some kind of utility or value to personality tests? And maybe specifically not the Big Five ocean Mm -hmm. test, but Mm -hmm. to the Enneagram, to the Mm Myers-Briggs, what would you say? Um, I would say that they can still have utility when viewed rightly. Like, when you view them not as kind of what you were saying people sometimes slip into of, this is who I am. Like, I am an ENFJ, and that is, like, the totality of my essence. (laughs) 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 Um, I think as long as you stay away from that, like, black and white territory, um, you have the freedom to use like knowledge of yourself and also knowledge of other people um to understand um yourself and others better i think it's it's kind of like we have the agency as humans we have the agency to just like hear things and then choose like oh i'm going to use this in this way but i'm not going to view it as like an all-defining aspect of my identity hmm i'm trying to think of a good analogy like if there's something else Mm -hmm. in life that relates in the way taking a personality test 
does to evaluating one's like whole being or whole mm. self. I'm coming up short. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything say, that you can think of? The, I don't have a good analogy for that specifically. I feel like there is one. The only analogy I can think of, and this is slightly getting at it differently, is like a toolbox, which that's used. That analogy is like way overused, but that's just because it's a good analogy. <laughs> it, overused in like other contexts, I mean. Um, but like personality knowledge, um, within different like frameworks can be like a toolbox you can just use the right one for the right time right tool for the right job (laughs) but that's not exactly what your question is and i think that's an analogy probably exists i would like to find it (laughs) yeah let's keep thinking on that one (laughs) maybe before the end of the episode we'll have something (laughs) maybe not no promises (laughs) um well this is an interesting, um, I guess, sub-talk, sub-topic under the category of personality tests. So, different biases that we may bring to a personality test as we're taking it, or maybe after taking it and reviewing the results. So, a few of the biases that we came up with by we, I mean Lizzie, let's be honest. <laughs> she is a psychology major and yes. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so confirmation bias was one of them. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's like we're looking for something that will confirm a belief we already hold about yeah, ourselves. Basically. Yeah. Would you add anything to that? Um... No, I think that's a good, like, overarching definition. So, okay, like, confirm. Oh, sorry, I'll just... <laughs> no, 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 I'll say no add. and then I say Please yes. Please do add. <laughs> I would just, um, yeah, add, um, like, we, how it ends up playing out is we wait, we place extra weight on these things that we were already hoping to see, mm. and we place less weight on these other things, and so our, perspe- our perspective or, sorry, our perception, (laughs) words, is therefore skewed because we've placed so much heavy weight on these things that we were already hoping to see anyway, and so then it's just confirming what we were basically thinking, which is what you said, Um, leaving us blind to these other areas that maybe they're even bigger than the things we were confirming, but we're so blind to it because of confirmation bias that we're not seeing it. Hmm. I can't remember a time... In high school, my parents had me take this, like, career assessment, and it wasn't a personality test. It was, obviously, more career-oriented, but I I do remember there being quite a few questions, like, what would you rather do, Uh, calculate numbers or grow a garden? I don't know. Stuff like that. And I went into that test already thinking, I'm going to study accounting in college, because some of my family members did that, and that's what I thought made sense. And so I just remember as I took that test, basically choosing every option that was, like, anything remotely accounting. And I I don't know. It was hard to take that test with that, like, idea already in my mind. Oh, I, right, I think right. I want to study accounting. 
I think there's definitely some confirmation bias going on there mm-hmm. in the way that I answered. Because um, mm-hmm. it was kind of blatant, too. Like, unlike personality, which is a little bit more abstract, it was very concrete. Like I said, do you want to plant flowers and grow a garden, or do you want to calculate numbers? Like, duh, I want to calculate numbers. Is that even a question? <laughs> I'm sure many other people would be like, no, I will grow zucchinis and squash before I will open a calculator. Open a calculator? Who opens calculators? Anyhow, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> My calculator had a cover that you had to open. That's true. Some of them did slide out. My dad had a really old one that kind of looked like a wallet. Yeah, that opened, I love those. like, that direction. They're so fun. And you can press all the buttons at once if you push down on the cover. <laughs> yes, maximum utility right there. Right. <laughs> um. Uh... Okay, another bias that was brought up is social desirability bias. That one maybe is a little more intuitive. I think, again, feel free to add to this, I think this is kind of, well, I know that, like, my friend group or peers or just culture in general would affirm these kinds of traits, and so these are things that I want to be who I am, um, mm-hmm. or how, like, my test results come out. So, something that would be socially advantageous, or if you, like, believe in a social hierarchy, this would mm-hmm. move me up the hierarchy, or, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. So, other contexts, it can be more touchy, I feel like, because you're, it's things like, well, I don't want to say that, like, some races are better than others, because obviously, socially, it's not acceptable to say that. Like, that's a a really blatant example of a social desirability bias. But in the context of personality stuff, I think that you're right. It also comes out there. And like a brief illustration would be in some ways society does seem to like praise extroversion a little bit more. And so I remember like taking personality tests in high school of my own accord because I'm a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) because i'm a nerd (laughs) and being like insecure every time i would have to answer one of those questions about like would you rather read a book or go to a party Mm. and i remember like really struggling to answer it honestly like as i'm consciously aware that i don't like i was like i don't i don't really know like (laughs) i kind of like staying home but like i feel like i should say i should go to a party because i'm a high schooler (laughs) um you know so Yeah, it definitely plays into personality tests as well. I'm going to piggyback off of this. Hopefully it's not too big of a rabbit trail, but Mm -hmm. the introversion-extroversion lens as it pertains to social desirability, I personally feel that society caters to extroverts a little bit more and, Mm -hmm. like, presents that as being more desirable. I've also experienced pretty much what you described of sitting there and thinking, well, which would I rather do? Like, stay at home and watch a movie or go out to have dinner um, and, like, hang out with friends or something. Like, what's going to look better on my Instagram feed? That Mm. definitely has... That thought has crossed my mind. Mm. But then if I really let myself get to the heart out the heart of it nine times out of ten i would much rather be at home Mm -hmm. watching a movie reading a book whatever um 
And I hate that even in my own brain there's that stigma of Mm -hmm. why is there something that's a little bit better or, like, a little bit more praiseworthy about extroversion Mm. than introversion. Again, this, it might be a personal thing or, like, a vendetta I have as a slightly more introverted person. Mm. (laughs) I do, though, going off of this, I do remember listening to a TED Talk by Brene Brown a few years ago where she was discussing introversion and extroversion and the education system and how at least in like public school settings there does tend to be this catering to or preference given to extroverts if you think about like group projects that are pretty prevalent pretty much all the way through school I would say maybe a little bit depending depending on your major in college but like group projects are definitely a thing um even the way that people are oriented like I know in some classes some years specifically elementary school we'd have like groupings of desks so you're kind of with a cluster of people versus like individual individual desks scattered throughout the room and she made some interesting points that if we're really trying to inspire learning and like mental development putting an introvert in a group with four extroverts who are all gonna um, conceivably be like processing verbally or gathering their energy from the group discussion that might actually be shutting the introverts thought process down like that might be a little bit of overstimulation for the introvert and they may need some quiet time alone uh to read or to reflect where they and that might be the setting where they come up with their their new ideas um or where they finally grasp a concept so i mean that that's not to say that all of our education system is like social and involves involves group work but yeah i i definitely can see elements of that and i think it's just kind of an interesting thing to be aware of Mm mm-hmm Yeah. Yeah. I think there's been talk about that in the workplace too, in, in some circles where people are like, um, in cubicle type offices or like, no, not, I'm sorry, not cubicles in like the type of workplace that would be like a Google where it's like Mm. fun and innovative and new and just like no walls. And I've obviously never been inside of Google, (laughs) but my, my, uh, cartoon image in my mind is like, there's no walls or it's like glass and you can just like flow and see and then go on a slide and then like, (laughs) Oh, I have a new idea. (laughs) And everyone actually travels on magic carpets. They float float down the halls. (laughs) Oh yeah. And I don't say any of that to be offensive. I I say it because I think it's fun. I would love working in a a place like that. Google Google is legit. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, some people, and this this goes into actually how workplaces can use personality tests and, like, should they or should they not and when and how. Because, like, someone who's very strongly introverted and d- produces their best work largely alone um, is not going to thrive in that type of setup where they can't literally can't get alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I, I typically test as an extrovert, but I am very close to the middle. And I've been in situations work type situations where there's like I'm in a setting where there's basically no feasible alone time like alone space whatsoever 
And that has been extremely stressful for me. And <laughs> I can imagine if if I was a stronger preference for introvert than I am, uh, it would even be more stressful probably. So that's, that's another example of how these personality things can be used um, beneficially in designing a workplace or hiring the right people. Um, yeah, knowing yourself where to apply even. What are your thoughts on, for example, a company only accepting a certain type of person as described by these tests? Mm. Like, do you think in the long run it would be beneficial for a company to hire strictly introverts? I don't know. What do you think? Mm. Um, I obviously depends on the company because if if you say company and you're talking about like a very 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 small company my answer might differ but mm, generally generally speaking i would say um homogeneity is a weakness in that mm. sense um and uh i mean you there are obvious pitfalls to having like 100% introverts and there's obvious pitfalls to having 100% extroverts in really any setting, but especially if you're talking about work and, like, productivity and value. Um, um I actually disagree. Introverts can <laughs> rule the world. <laughs> we can get stuff done, let me tell you. <laughs> but you could possibly get more stuff done if you have, like, a influx of, like, energy and ideas and, like, things that you push push you out of your comfort zone. Yes, which an this extrovert is very true. Very well may do. <laughs> And in the flip side of that is true too. Like a group of total extroverts can be pushed to introspect and like take quiet and ideas and can come to you in moments of quiet that may not come to you in moments of brainstorming as a group, um, even if you're an extrovert. <laughs> so, but to answer your question, I, I've only heard of workplaces using like, more broadly, not saying this is the one type of person we will accept and this is the only type of person we've ever hired. <laughs> um, obviously never heard of that, but I think using it as a guide can be helpful, especially for large organizations who do get hundreds of applications, who do know, like, well, someone who's super, super shy, they, they have strengths in areas that like, are not <laughs> at our organization. Like, we need, we need, might need a different type of person. And they might thrive in a different setting. It's not to say that they don't have strengths. It's just to say that it's not, a, it wouldn't be a good match. And so they could easily just, you know, through the bots of <laughs> personality stuff that you would do pre-HR contact even, mm -hmm. filter out. And ugh, there's, I, I hate that though, because I love, like, the personal aspect of, like, applying and hiring I feel like I don't want to interact with a computer in that process yet yeah. I understand why it has to be a reality sometimes yeah I would agree I don't love like the bot system or the way that 
these application softwares can like screen or comb mm-hmm. through looking for keywords and therefore when you're in career prep classes they tell you to insert these key buzzwords oh, I and it, such a it starts oh. to get very much like a strategy game to me and I think that's why yeah. I don't like it um like save yeah. that for settlers of Catan like don't <laughs> use that in your hiring process and then it's like, are they actually looking, not for the people who they purport to be looking for through these traits, but are they actually looking for the people with enough strategy to get through that bot system no matter what their personality is? That's right. a super interesting possibility. Probably oh. not, but... <laughs> Whoa, okay. My mind just got blown a little bit. Yeah, like, what if that was the goal the whole time? Like, it's we're not really interested mission. in anyone actually having these experiences or, like... <laughs> This, this English lexicon, we're most interested in who can game our system because maybe that's what the job will require. I don't know. I think that's unlikely, but I can see yeah. it as a possibility. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yes. Well, there's a conspiracy, a new conspiracy theory. Uh- <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> uh, probably not, though. It's probably from the percolators. <laughs> Oh, the providers. Oh. Um, well, okay. Maybe let's switch gears a bit because I think this is an interesting question. Thinking about the scope of personality tests, what can they capture and what can't they capture? Um, and I, I guess one thing that I can start us off with is... I do think particularly the Myers-Briggs can capture thinking, like natural thinking, leaning people versus feeling leaning people Mm -hmm. fairly well. Um, I guess it could depend on the day a little bit. Maybe I'm going to eat my words here. (laughs) Um, But I, I think that that has been personally as well as relationally helpful for me to be aware of how people process information and like make decisions and take action. Um, is it based on like an emotion and an, a, a feelings oriented connection or is it based on like logic or rational thinking or pros and cons? Um, so yeah, I guess that's one way that I can see personality test capturing i don't know i'm really not convinced as i'm saying this i'm like, <laughs> like no i've definitely <laughs> taken the myers-briggs on different days and mm. gotten thinking and gotten feeling i definitely i tend toward thinking obviously mm. but mm-hmm. i don't know do you have something to weigh mm. in on this one yeah yeah I'm gathering my thoughts because they're all over the place. <laughs> yes, do gather. Take <laughs> Internally process if you must. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think building off what you were saying of like understanding, like you lean more towards T thinking um, in, in sort of your preferential like ways of dealing with information and dealing with the world. (laughs) Um, I tend to lean more towards F or feeling. Um, But 
I think, and so if, if the question is, like, what can they capture, I think in some, like, hazy, like, dotted line sense, like, the Myers-Briggs can capture these constructs, even though it's not, like, as you noted, not super reliable <laughs> um, based on your mood or um, when you take the test. Um, I think this is a little bit different, but that um, and other traits that I don't, like, have a preference toward, um, I've, in all of my exploration of personality stuff, I'm able to understand more, kind of like what you were saying of, oh, someone else who's very different than me, like, this is how they're working through things, seeing the world, perceiving things, integrating information, etc. Um, mm -hmm. and being able to put words to that and see it as valid, as opposed to seeing it as, like, annoyingly different, <laughs> <laughs> um, has been, and yeah, this is, like, different than the question you asked, but I think personality tests, if nothing else, they can provide, like, alternative ways uh, that people are in the world and therefore they can help us be more like understanding um even if the tests themselves or the even the constructs themselves aren't the most ideally like clinical and like black and white um i think that if you zoom out what the what these tests provide can be so useful in that way yeah i think specifically with the enneagram i'm probably just saying that because it's the one i'm most familiar with it's been hugely beneficial for helping me get to that point you were just describing that not all people are the same um and rather than being irritated and annoyed when people respond in a way that personally I wouldn't respond, I think it's helped me be more aware that, oh, I can uh, at least understand where they're coming from. Maybe understand's a little bit too strong, but I have a <laughs> hunch about where they're coming from. And... Uh, sometimes that can generate more compassion or grace. Mm -hmm. I think of, I just happen to have a lot of two friends and I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you, but, <laughs> but it is, it's genuinely the truth. I have a lot of two friends and twos are, I think the name like most commonly given is the helper. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I love so many things about the twos and one of them is that helping aspect that it's actually like very purposeful and meaningful for them to get to help others, um, especially in their time of need. And I can think of one of my roommates who I think is a little bit maybe undecided about what she is. I definitely think she's a two, but that's <laughs> up to her to decide. And again, it's it's not like a set in stone thing. It's definitely more of a tendency but there's been a few moments, crisis moments, where I've locked myself out of my car or um, forgotten something important. And I always feel like I'm burdening her when I ask for help, but she just seems genuinely so excited to be able to help, like to be able to fill that role and meet the need. Mm. And I see that with her 
in a lot of people in her circles as well. Like, she she takes so much joy and gets so much meaning and fulfillment out of being able to help meet people's needs and being flexible for them. And um, also, she's, like, very eager to just stop what she's doing and listen when someone needs to talk. And I love that about um, her. And also, I think that's true of most of the other two that I'm thinking of. So, um, I guess, yeah, distilling that, sometimes in my oneness, it seems inefficient to me to stop. Mm. Like, if I'm being honest, it seems inefficient to stop what I'm doing to help someone or to meet this need, especially if it's not planned. It's hard Mm. for me to Mm. do that. Um, but knowing some twos and knowing that it is this is not an excuse, by the way, to go out and just ask a lot of all the twos in everyone's lives. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess just knowing that that's not the way they see it. Like, mm. they don't mm. see it as, for the most part, oh, these are people and they're just, like, burdening me and disrupting my schedule. It's like, no, they actually, like, they love to help. And that that brings them um, joy. So... I don't know, that's that's just one difference that I've noticed between ones and twos that the Enneagram has helped me see in different people around me. Yeah. 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 That that's a good example of like in a positive way of like you understanding that when you reach out to someone for help, they might not necessarily be think like be immediately like, what a burden. Exactly. Because... You, and I'm ashamed like, to say that I do think that sometimes. But no. Yeah. Well, I don't think you're alone in that. <laughs> and I would add as a two that twos sometimes think that too. <laughs> but like healthy, when you're in a healthy place and, you know, all things being equal overall, yeah, I would echo what you said as being true of twos. And it's cool to, to develop um, all of these like other ways of viewing the world. Like, I only have, truly only have my way, but I can conceptualize all these other ways. Like, I know you and other people in my life are a one or a three, all the way up through nine on the Enneagram. And it's really cool to be able to learn and kind of, like, um, put yourself in their shoes, kind uh, I guess, and have a robust system to do so. You're not just randomly trying to empathize. You have like, well, as a one, the core, what's the core, um, the core desires to like, to be good or yes. right. Um, and so, yeah, just helpful to put words to these things to aid, um, understanding. Hmm. Can you think of any specific limitations of personality tests? I think we definitely implied that there are some. Yeah. But I guess any cautions or points where it's like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't take it quite Mm. this far. There's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I would, the overarching one that I would say, and a lot of the, what I'm about to say, whoa, words, a lot of what I'm about to say is to my past self, because I think that I put, used to put way too, way too much, um, credence and stock into personality tests. Um, like, the test is 
basically, like, okay, I'm going to try to illustrate a picture as an analogy. It may fail, though, but, like, if you're standing, like, out in a field alone, like, in a dark field and you're standing, um, you have one flashlight um, from, like, at a certain angle shining on you. And are you is... holding the flashlight? No, it's or, held no, by it's an invisible force. Okay, <laughs> makes sense. obviously. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know why I didn't specify that. Uh, it's just like out there, um, you know, mm, elevating, uh, elevating, Medita- illuminating. What's that word? Uh, elevating, meditating. It's like hovering. I don't know what the word I'm trying to think of. <laughs> get the gist um <laughs> floating uh yeah and it's shining on you at a particular angle and whatever it's shining on that's like there's some trueness to whatever you're being whatever is being revealed but it's just that angle and then huh. there's a different flashlight at a different angle a different coming from somewhere else in the field that's also shining on you and it looks pretty different and it's not a perfect analogy cuz all analogies break down at some point but but that's kind of a way that I think of these different tests. Like, they're just providing different types of information. And I think it's healthier to view it that way and to view it almost at arm's length of, like, I can use this if I want to, but this doesn't have to be, like, a descriptor of my fundamental identity. Mm. Um, and I think it can be. Like, there are definitely elements of these tests that I'm like, yeah, that's, like, essential to who I am. But the test itself, I don't think I need to elevate to that level um, just because there are so many flaws, as we've talked about. So, yeah. What do you think about that? I don't know that I have anything new to add. I'm, yeah. I think um, maybe another important aspect in this conversation about limitations of these tests is growth opportunities um, from these tests. I think it would be dangerous for us to um, take a certain test and say, well, I'm really low in, um, I don't know, was conscientiousness one of the yeah 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 i'm really low in conscientiousness therefore i will always be very low in conscientiousness i am just not going to be an aware and considerate person as i go Mm. about my life like that's probably dangerous (laughs) um but i think we can take something like that knowing that we have certain predispositions as people and some of that's genetic some of it's environmental But we can still take that and consider, how could I grow in being more conscientious? Does this require me asking some people around me for times that they notice I'm kind of checked out or oblivious? um, And, like, being open to feedback on that. Um, Mm. I'm trying to think of another example. Maybe with thinking and feeling, like... If we tend more toward the feeling end of the spectrum, are there ways that I can learn to also apply a framework of, like, maybe more objectivity to evaluating a situation? Um, Like, 
not losing my connection to my emotions and becoming dispassionate, but considering, I think, I don't know, like a pro and cons list when decision making, um, or <laughs> of course I'm going to say this, an Excel spreadsheet. Yes. <laughs> I was hoping you would. <laughs> because it has to be name dropped at least once. Um, <laughs> once per episode. Once per episode. We are not paid. <laughs> <laughs> not that they need our help, but. <laughs> <laughs> they really don't. Um, the Sinkies, on the other hand. <laughs> oh, Sinkies. Um, we love the Sinkies. We should get t-shirts. That would be great, actually. <laughs> that would be so fun. <laughs> but, okay, you get the gist. Like, yeah. yeah, there. I just think, really, in any situation, there's a way we can grow in a specific quality. And we can use these personality tests to be more aware of those areas where growth um, could happen. Yeah. And, and some of the things are very neutral. Like, what we were talking about with introversion and extroversion. Like, okay, yeah, much to my disdain, it seems like there is a little bit more desirability for extroversion, but really that's neutral. There is nothing better or worse about being introverted or extroverted. So, I, I mean, yeah, as an introvert, it's probably good for me to be uncomfortable sometimes and, like, put myself out in situations when I much rather would prefer to sit at home. And I guess that's growth. But the ultimate goal isn't to become an extrovert. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I just, I kind of an advocate for growth and change, even though I'm mm-hmm. really bad at that myself, as I said at the beginning. Mm. Um, so, or at least I'm not where I would want to be with that. So, yeah, that's another characteristic or aspect of this conversation that I think is important. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a super helpful, like, way to wield these personality tests to our benefit um to and I think it's yeah it was a good caveat that you said of not saying like oh well I'm a blank and so excuse my whatever poor behavior like that's just how I am um like again just going back to myself like as a two uh Enneagram like the helper likes to like relational whatever if I um, and, like, super clingy <laughs> towards someone, and it's, like, detrimental and or annoying, I don't want to just be like, well, I'm a two, so what do you expect? <laughs> like, I want to take that and use that, like you said, as an opportunity to grow, um, and it's possible to do that while still being true to yourself and not, like you said, changing from, for example, like, an introvert to an extrovert, but rather just becoming more um like having a more robust um tool belt of ways to interact with the world <laughs> the toolbox to, to use the oh, i hate <laughs> i was like i don't want to say this i don't want to say i said i said it <laughs> hey no worries at least you had an analogy i still can't come up with a good <sighs> one for personality tests to actual person Okay, wait, what's the question again that we're trying to find an analogy for? Just to be clear. I think what I said was, like, um, what is a personality test as, like, paired mm-hmm. with an entire person? Okay. Like, their entire so being. Personality test is to actual human you, as... You know what? <laughs> your, your flashlight analogy kind of, I think, gets 
at what I was trying to get at. Like, okay, I think that's so pretty personality good. test is to actual human as levitating. That's the verb. Levitating <laughs> flashlight in a dark field, shining on a human is to human. Yes. <laughs> nice. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> Seamless analogy. <laughs> Another one, I guess I. I thought of as you were talking about the flashlight one is mm. the elephant one that's often right, used in yeah. regard to like religion. Um, yeah, and, I like, think I totally ripped off of that when I was like, coming up with my quote <laughs> but yours unique. Is, I think yours is better. I like yours better. Mm, mm. I think for those who um, maybe aren't familiar with it, the elephant analogy is like, well, what if um, there's like a whole elephant, but everyone there's different people and they're representing different religions i guess and they're each touching a different part of the elephant so maybe one and they're is all touching... blind yes thank you important <laughs> important component they are all blind and one's touching the trunk and saying oh it's like long and it's kind of rough and then someone's touching the foot and they're like oh it, it feels kind of like a rock and it's really flat and i don't really know elephant anatomy but you get the point <laughs> <laughs> they're all touching the same elephant yeah. But they don't know it because the components they're touching are different. And right. sometimes people use that in reference to different religions, like, mm-hmm. getting at the same thing. Mm-hmm. It That's not a conversation we're having right now. But right. <laughs> anyhow, I like your analogy better, Lizzie. Let's go oh, with that. <laughs> wow. Thank you. I accept the compliment. <laughs> well, guys, this has been, hopefully for you, I know for me, it's been a great conversation good to process through some of this mm. stuff and probably gonna go take an oceans personality test yes i'll send you pretty soon after we finish yes please do <laughs> my classic um, one <laughs> thanks for tuning in to letting it percolate we hope that you connected with what we talked about in today's episode and that your thoughts have been sufficiently percolated in the next episode we'll ask the question what makes someone influential and we hope that you'll join us for that So that's all we have. We'll talk to you next time.